You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, welcome back to Labor Relations Radio. So today we're going to deviate slightly from talking about national issues that affect the workplace and talk about a specific geographic area and a specific industry. The geographic area is eastern Pennsylvania and the industry is the construction industry. Now, for those of you not in the construction industry, before you tune out, let me just tell you that Even though we're narrowing this down a little bit, the issues we're discussing are happening across the country and in industries other than construction. So I guess we could say the overarching theme is how unions will use local ordinances to eliminate non-union companies and their employees from getting work or license to open up shop in some other industries. For example, in the construction industry, unions are sometimes using things called responsible contractor ordinances or responsible employer ordinances passed at the local level for municipal construction projects like school buildings or town city halls, things like that. In other industries, like the cannabis industry, unions are getting states to pass what are called labor peace agreements that, in order to get licensed to open up a dispensary, for example, a business owner must essentially have a unionized workforce in order to open. So it varies from state to state and by municipality, but it is happening across the country. So on Friday, I had the opportunity to talk to Joe Perpilia, the president of the Associated Builders and Contractors for Eastern Pennsylvania. And the chapter itself is an association of more than 14,000 merit, cons- merit shop construction employees who work for over 500 member companies. While Joe and I talked about a number of issues affecting the construction industry in Eastern Pennsylvania, as a listener, you might want to take heed to the fact that these issues are happening in other parts of the country, as well as other industries. Here's Joe Propilia. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So thanks for coming on Labor Relations Radio, Joe. I and, really appreciate an opportunity to talk. <laughs> and although you're supposed to be in Pennsylvania, you're not in Pennsylvania at the moment. I uh, am in the great state of Florida at the moment. Yeah. I'm from the, the other great state of Texas. <laughs> right. So um, I wanted to have this conversation with you. Uh, there's a couple things you've got. Um, you've got some things going on. First of all, I guess I guess we should explain what is ABC Eastern PA, the coverage, and and you know who your members are, and um, then we can move to the pictures you posted on LinkedIn, and then we can talk about the RCO thing. Sure, sure. sure. So ABC Eastern Pennsylvania is part of uh, one of 69 chapters in the country uh, under what we'll call ABC National, uh, and they are a national group based out of Washington, D.C., and what we advocate for is, is free enterprise, freedom in the workplace, and uh, protecting what's called the merit shop philosophy, which means, you know, on a level playing field, doesn't matter your labor affiliation. Everybody should start from the same spot, compete. And the, the folks that, uh, you know, 
present a bid and present a resume and they can perform a project as the most responsible, safest contractor should get the work. Um, unfortunately, in Eastern Pennsylvania and specifically Eastern Pennsylvania covers from Philadelphia County up to Susquehanna County, we border New Jersey completely. Uh, and then we go about as far out as Pottsville, Pennsylvania in Schuylkill County. So those encompassing Eastern counties are, are uh, in our jurisdiction. And our major cities are Scranton, Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton, Philadelphia would be probably the biggest uh, metropolitan areas. And so your your members are the usually the smaller construction companies, or um, and it encompasses all the trades, right? All it electrical, does. plumbing, pipe fitting. But we also have very large developers. Um, some of our subcontractors, they're you know, their project volume in a year could be over $500 million. Um, we have a couple that are very close to a billion dollars uh, as far as some of the heavy highway guys that we have. So, you know, we, we do encompass from the almost the mom and pop. I've got 20 people. I've got five people to I've got 500 people in my company or more um, and doing work in and outside of our territory. But they happen to be based in Eastern Pennsylvania. So, you know, sometimes people do think, oh, we have the small specialty contractor. We actually have very, very large companies in, in, in our jurisdiction. Right. Um, and so your territory also covers Philadelphia and Philadelphia um, has a storied past, if you will, with regard to the unions in Philadelphia, the construction unions in particular. Sure. And I guess we should, we should touch on this at least as, as far as you know, um, there's a, a guy who is currently, I believe, under indictment, who kind of ran the ran the construction unions in Philadelphia. That is correct. Uh, so that who you're referring to is John Doherty. So John Doherty, um, and he actually had a, a, a one of his members, um, local, I believe, it was local 98, uh, was a member of city council. That's Bobby Heenan. So um, mm. they have been. It was actually an initiative that uh, one of the gubernatorial candidates, uh, Bill McSwain, was running for governor in Pennsylvania this year. Um, he was, you know, one that kind of pushed that case through. Um, and I remember as it was happening, I was, you know, in the press saying, look, you know, there's a process. He, John Dockery, like anybody else, has to go through a process. You have to see what happens. Um, and it looks like, you know, the first indictment came through. Um, he was convicted along with Bobby Heenan. I think they have two more cases to go through. Uh, and unfortunately, going back to my statements in 2019, those things that we kind of knew on the street or heard about, now they're in writing and now they're out there. So they're true. And that's what makes it unfortunate about Philadelphia. There's just such a stranglehold, or was, I should say was, um, was such a stranglehold on uh, being 100% union all the time. You know, and That's not what we stand for. Yeah. And so over the years, um, it used to be, that it was very, very rare that um, ABC members who are primarily open shop contractors uh, would even do work within the city limits. That and, is correct. And it seems as though, you know, the union stranglehold, so to speak, on Philadelphia seems to be loosening up a little bit. Or a lot uh, of it, maybe. Yeah, maybe a lot. You know, I mean, I, I'm in our world a lot. And, and again, you know, when you look at you call it a stranglehold or whatever. Um, there's a there's a lot of pieces to this, Peter. I mean, when I look at that, so you take the stranglehold, it seems to be all true, indictments are coming, and all those things are happening. 
But there's a couple other facets to this that one of the big ones is when things are not 100% union in that, in that town, and that is part and parcel to our members who really put their neck out. Um, the chapter, some former presidents before I was here, really laid the groundwork. Um, and it's funny because there was a phrase that got brought up in one of our, our strategic planning sessions, and they said, you know, Joe, you're saying we should go into Philly. I said, you're kind of already there. Um, but yeah, I think you have to make the make the push into Philadelphia. It's part of our territory. Why wouldn't you? And the one member said, well, they build a moat around the city. And I said, well, build a boat to go into the city because there's people there that need jobs and they need you to kind of lead to say these jobs are here and we need people to fill those positions. Um, and that was the initial thought. But what it actually has now mushroomed into is ABC maybe I take this on the chin that we weren't loud enough in the past. We, we were basically unknown as an organization. They might see build, people see buildings being built by our members, but they might not know what's behind it. And this turned into a whole, I would say probably the greatest turn for us um, and probably the most rewarding is because there was no alternative um, other, you know, of an employment choice. It's either you, if you're in the trade, you're going to the union. Well, then the message was, well, you don't have to do that. And I'd be in meetings, you know, community meetings. And they'd say, Joe, I don't understand. What you're talking about, you have to, what local are you with? And I'd say, I'm not with a union. You're not, this is the part maybe you're not getting. I'm an association of a lot of employers who happen to be in the trades. You can get jobs with those employers and we'll connect you. And as that happened, that turned this into more of a, we should go into Philly and, you know, ABC and a lot of those things that, you know, kind of rah-rah, which is all true. Um, you're actually bringing people into the industry that didn't even know about us. And they didn't know about our companies. They didn't know. They thought, eh, every building's built by unions. That's what we know. And it's, it doesn't seem open. There's a lot of barriers to entry to get into the unions. If you're a Philadelphian in any neighborhood, that's what you think. And slowly, that's beginning to turn, too. Um, and it's very important because I think, you know, Philadelphians on the whole, and, and it's so counterintuitive, had so many barriers or there was such propaganda that you thought you couldn't get into the trades unless you joined one of the unions that it just had people say, well, forget it. I'm just either I wasn't accepted. They don't want me in, whatever it may be. Um, that was their perception. That's not my perception. That was from sitting down and just having conversations. In, uh, in multiple groups. And I have members that have done that as well. It's, it's really changed the workforce development strategy that we had, uh, we had thought about previously. Now it's, now it's uh, gone in a, a great direction. Well, great for direction. years there are, there are um, I, I guess the barriers you're, we may be talking about two separate barriers. There used to be barriers um, depending on your skin color to getting into the unions. Uh, in fact, one of the, one of the unions in your territory, I think, which was the operating engineers, uh, which was like local 542. Does that sound right? That is correct. Local they used to have, I don't think they have it anymore, but they used to have a 30 year is for about 30 years, a consent degree for some of their yeah, those kind of bad habits. Oh, yeah. And I will say this, if I'm being completely honest, they do seem to have recognized this too. Um, they have made changes. I can say the carpenters have made changes. I believe 542 has made those same changes. You know, look, you, you got to wake up at some point and realize you're excluding the actual people who live in that county 
And if it's based on whatever, if it's skin color or anything else, that stuff kind of turns my stomach. It really is. You present an opportunity. You show people how to take advantage of that opportunity. And you hope that they come in because construction, especially now with the shortage of, of workers in our industry, you can't overlook anybody. And matter of fact, even if someone you, you bring into the industry, they seem like they may not be a fit, you know, you better nurture that a little bit because it might just be whatever. It could be a, a learning challenge or a different learning difference. It could be anything. Um, and that's not based on, you know, background, skin color, anything. It could just be, you got to just say, hey, we need people. And in order to recruit into our industry, it may take a little extra care. And you got to take it. And I hope union or non-union, uh, I can only speak for our chapter. We're doing that. I hope everybody's doing that because that's what it's going to take. Yeah. So um, one of the things I wanted to chat with you about is recently on LinkedIn, you posted some pictures of some construction equipment that I guess we're in Philadelphia. Um, one of your members had some equipment and I may, um, I may post those if I can find them. I got to go back. So it was a couple of weeks ago, you posted them, um, post them under the audio portion of this episode, but the, the sabotage and say union thuggery for lack of a better term is still somewhat alive and well, not maybe as bad as it used to be, but so explain those pictures you. verbally so people can <laughs> sure, understand. Sure, I, got, you know, I, get, I get these phone calls uh, more prevalently now, uh, post-presidential election, um, seems like anyway. Uh, probably a corollary to that. But, um, yes, I mean, a lot of things that we've seen, even down to, and I'll, I, you know, we've explained for the listeners, you know, secondary boycotts. You know, if you're even a supplier on a site, if you're tied to anyone on a site, you now can be, you know, targeted, so to speak. Um, that's sometimes just more, you know, don't buy from so-and-so, whatever that, what, what I posted, um, is the true old school, right? We're going to smash out some windows. We're going to knock down some fences. We're going to spray paint scab on a job site. I mean, guys, come on, <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, I've been around too long now to think, ah, oh, that's just some rogue element of uh, a particular local who just went out of control you know, it's not. And it's meant to kind of say you're not welcome or you're, you've made an inroad. You need to get out of here. And I can tell you that that particular member, along with many others, you know, we, we don't even really listen to that. I mean, it's it's kind of that member to their credit. It was like, yeah, it's kind of an annoyance. The, the backstory I found interesting because it seems like, you know, another local comes in and saves the day. I'll go talk to those guys and I'm going to make this all go away. Um I don't believe in coincidences. <laughs> right. So I don't think that was a coincidence. Um, so it, it just kind of is what it is. Um, it's, it's a shame for me because, you know, Philadelphia, I, I've had my, my relatives came from Italy, at least a good portion of them, and settled in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is kind of known for this kind of thing. And I, I really would like to do whatever way I can to get that out of there. I mean, again, going back to level playing field, you know, I know that there are some that may be listening saying, Joe, you're never going to get it because they are going to just hammer you until you go. But, you know, when you go back to changing people's lives in a particular county um, who have been extremely overlooked and you look at the development, that's, there's enough to go around, guys. I mean, it, you're, you're almost approaching it when I see things like that as you're approaching it from a, uh, a scarcity mentality versus, hey, you know, I want to I build my city. 
and I want to be paid paid correctly. I want to follow all the rules. That's what we advocate for. That's what you should do. You know, we don't much like you know. I I saw from the union side. Um, we have to keep bad actors out of Philadelphia. Well, guess what? ABC doesn't want bad actors in Philadelphia or anywhere else where we are in our territory. We want everything done with the I's dot and the T's crossed. And that's what we teach our members. Right. And and I guess I should back up a little bit. What we're talking about with the construction equipment sabotage was a non-union contractor doing work within the city limits, so to speak, uh, in yes, Philadelphia. Most, and, most of the non-union trades, are made, there may have been a union or two because that's the thing i mean to your point if things are changing um they're also called you know for the listeners what's called a mixed bag right so hey the unions had the great bid package for this particular trade but the non-union had a great package for this particular trade well you guys got to get on site and make it work i mean that's that's what the that's what this project is um it comes with its challenges right this right. one being an extreme one <laughs> that's so, so related question um this is going back some years, and I don't remember how long ago it was, but the um, the burning down of the meeting house, the Plymouth meeting house with, and I think that was iron workers, right? Quaker, it was the Quaker meeting house. So the Quaker meeting house is on Mermaid Lane at the, probably the end of Chestnut Hill. Um, yes, but that was an extreme one. How many years ago was so that? You look at the... I was on the site. Uh, let me think about this. It was December of, I believe it was 2012. Um, I actually 10. was on the site. Uh, the it happened. Still smoking. I mean, that's how quickly we were there. Yeah, um, so that's only 10 years you know, ago. Yeah, Crane was back. Yeah, not very long ago. Not very long ago at all. Yeah. So um, one of the things I wanted to kind of do a deeper dive into is... The issue, and I saw this, um, I think there was an article in the Allentown Morning Call maybe a month or so ago, um, and I think that's only one of the towns that's going on, the RCO or the Responsible Contracting Ordinance, right? right. So, so can you explain those and kind of where that stands? Sure, sure. Um, I'll try. I'll, some, it's a fairly long history. I'll make it short. So what the... The responsible contractor ordinances are marketed as to any municipality when I think that this is probably the road is already paved when they are so-called introduced Boy, we really need a responsible contractor ordinance sale to uh, very receptive township supervisors or city council folks. But basically it's, you know, most of these ordinances are written around, hmm, you know, we need responsible contractor. They have to be bonded. They have to be, uh, you know, show, show that they've performed this kind of work in the past. They don't have any major violations. They're not debarred. Well, any procurement policy for any municipality already has all that. So in ergo that, the responsible contract ordinance isn't even necessary. Um, that happened in Bethlehem, actually, the administration. Okay. We don't need this, right? And they started pushing back along with our members. But let's take the RCO on it. On what is it? If I call it a project labor agreement light. So it is mandating specifically, and this is where it starts to get um, dicey, it mandates companies to be part of a Class A apprenticeship program. Now, a Class A apprenticeship program was never defined. Let's go back to pre-2018. And I would get calls from our members and say, Joe, 
uh, I have to be part of a Class A apprenticeship program. There's no real definition in the bid package. Are we a Class A apprenticeship program? I said, well, we're registered state and federal. Yeah, I think that's what it means. Yeah, you're in a Class A apprenticeship program. But here's what happens. So starting in Northampton County in 2018, these cl the Class A definition was then expanded to include you know, apprenticeship, amongst other things. But apprenticeship is the one that causes the most problem. And what that says is if you're a Class A apprenticeship program, is a program that graduates uh, apprentices to journeymen in the last three or five years. Guess what? ABC does that. <laughs> so we are still a Class A apprenticeship program. So that's the first part where it gets a little clouded. But here's why I believe that it is always was dangerous. When anytime you have a term that's really not defined in any ordinance, that's danger. The second part where I'll get to is where I think it's really the rubber's meeting right. So break this down into a few categories. I have members who are in our registered apprenticeship program, state and federal. They are participating. They are sending students. They're okay today. And I'll keep going back to the word today. So they're okay today. But then you've got the other contractors. And this gets into what I think is boxing out the, you know, call them the mom and pop or the uh, smaller contractor, very smart, very strategic, wants to grow, is not going to participate in my program. And I see their point. They're saying, hey, I hired very experienced people. I've got a crew. This is as big as I need to be. We're very efficient. I may have already been working for a municipality up until Monday. And they passed this ordinance, and on Tuesday, I'm not responsible because I'm not consistently putting people into the program. And the, and the wording varies a little bit, but it basically comes down to you will uh, enroll and have people in the apprenticeship program for the duration of the project in every trade in which you are going to perform. That right there it starts to be the killer of most of the smaller contractors because they say, I don't need to do this. I have experienced people. I don't need to do this. There's some, you can also look at there's some monetary challenges for a smaller contractor to pay me um, the tuitions that they would need to. And there's, you know, and there's help that we can give them for that. But I really look at that small contractor or that very large contract that says, I've got experienced people. You're telling me I got to send them back to school? It doesn't make sense. Yes. And, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Let me let me interrupt for a second because um, just to clarify, an apprenticeship program, um, the traditional thought process to it is that it's basically a school for people entering the trade, whatever trade that is. They get certified, and so a lot of times people will assume only unions do that. But ABC has apprenticeship programs throughout the country. So correct. if you're not a union worker and you want to go into say HVAC or or electrical work, you can go into an ABC type of apprenticeship program and learn the skill, learn the trade. And that's, I'm glad you brought up that distinction because you got to remember a union apprenticeship program, you can recruit into their apprenticeship program, right? right. Our companies are like, like you would do at home. I've got a, a group that I've hired in. I, I might need to be around them for six months to a year before I decide, hey, apprenticeship is the right move for you. But under an RCO, if I want to continue working, as I may have been working in the past, well, now I have to send you. I have to make a quicker decision. Well, would you do that at home? You wouldn't do that at home. You would take your time to make the right decision and make your decision. 
And that's what, you know, it speeds this process up. And some say, you know, and it's come up in hearings, oh, you're just anti-training, which is absolutely ludicrous. Um, No, what we're saying is companies should make their decision when they want to make their decision. They may even choose to do their own apprenticeship program and register it as their own company with the state. You know, I'm happy to help in that process or have them in our school. Either way, it works. Well, I could I could see where for a smaller company, so to continually have somebody in an apprenticeship program, you have to assume there's enough churn within or enough bodies there to keep you know people coming in and going, you know, graduating, you gotta send somebody else. A small company would not have that much churn, presuming everybody's happy in the workforce. So that would dovetails, yeah, and that Peter, that dovetails into another major challenge that ABC has been pushing for for over 10 years is if you are what's called a non-joint, or let's just keep it union, non-union, if you're a non-union company, you don't have the same, it's called apprenticeship ratio uh, rulings as a union. Um, under collective bargaining, and I know that there are some unions that say they don't do this, but you can have what's called a one-to-one ratio. If I have one journeyman, I have one apprentice that I can have in a program, on a job, whatever. Well, Open Shop doesn't get that. Open Shop gets four journey persons. Before that apprentice comes on, say you could even at your fifth journeyman, you get your first apprentice. It's an artificial bottleneck for hiring, for performance on a job. Um, and I've always, I mean, not even I, this goes even before me, being with ABC. This is a huge, you know, when you talk about level playing field, it's way out of tilt. It's not, it's not level um, as far as the ratios. Um, and I could even say, you know, if, if you look at apprenticeship standards across the state, all these things, I mean, there's just two classes of people. I mean, it's just very, very silly, um, you know, in my opinion. And I'm probably others will echo that. It's, it's not only apprenticeship ratios. You have RCOs that dictate things that really are not favorable to an open shop or small business or a large business that doesn't need it. It's it's just a it's basically a mess. <laughs> I mean, it's a big mess to keep the the playing field all out of kilter or keep people off the playing field entirely, which again is very contrary to what we stand for. So let me ask you um, if I'm if I'm not familiar with the construction industry and I'm you know I work for a company we're manufacturing, why should I care um, that this is happening in my town or this is happening in the county that I live in? Sure. Well, I'll start with any municipality, city council, county. You know, their main charge is the the good, the, keeping the communities, keeping uh, you know the lives of their constituents um, top of mind, right? So you know, they're to be good stewards of the finances, all the things that go along with being in an elective office. So when I look at some of these past RCOs, I'll, I'll, one in particular um, in, at the Colonial School District, um, Colonial Middle School. Uh, when that project first started to come out, I we thanks to many constituents who reached out to us, we started to see changes in who was going to design the project, how was the project going to be spec'd, which started to be the red flags that something was happening with this project. Then an RCO was uh, then introduced, and I will say again, the constituents really got the issue. We were happy to help them; uh, those that didn't understand what the RCO was going to be and how it was going to drive up the price of this particular middle school. And it did. And let's just cut to the chase. When a public project costs more than it should, who's paying? Taxpayers are paying. 
You couple that with an apprenticeship program that might exclude a local company, local businesses are suffering. That is in direct contrary to what the responsibility is for those folks that were elected. And those that voted for these things, you know, people pay attention. In Colonial School District, um, that school district uh, or that school board flipped, they rescinded the RCO. Um, while the RCO was being debated, former presidents of that school board who lived in other states, or I believe one was like 15 years been off the school board. He goes, I warned you of guys of this 15 years ago. If you see this, this is the entree to drive up prices, make things slanted more towards union labor, and it shouldn't be that way. It should be the most responsible person, best price for the constituents. That's your job. Um, and you can go back and find some video. I got very contentious in Colonial School District. So let me let me ask you, because you just touched on something which I don't think I understood, that these RCOs are not necessarily at the city council level. That can also go to the school board? The school board? I, we've witnessed them at and I can give it to you. So Northampton, 2018, May of 2018, Northampton County, and basically at about the same time, Northampton County, Plymouth Township, West Arden Township, Colonial School District. So for those that are listening, um, Northampton County is Lehigh Valley area. Um, if you look at the other rash of them, Plymouth Township is part of Colonial School District. Uh, West Arden Township is very close within striking distance, you would say, of Plymouth Township. And why did this occur? Because Plymouth Township had a new municipal building that was being done and it was gonna be millions of dollars. Across the driveway is Colonial School Middle School. West Norton, there was a major public project about to happen. No coincidence, as I said, I don't believe in coincidences, all those projects drive, well, hey, <laughs> I gotta slant this towards my members. Oh, if you get an RCO, that's one more way to make sure it kind of goes in that direction. And if I'm being totally fair and totally transparent, open shops got these jobs too. But I don't know how many people looked at that RCO and said, wow, I don't qualify. I don't want to enter. You know, this is just a headache. I'm out of here. I'm just not going to bid this one. Right. That happened all the time. That's another big issue when you, you think about county commissioners or school boards or whatever. You've boxed out people, and, and I can tell you, if they would just reach out, and I know politically why they may not, because a lot of these uh, RCOs are introduced after elections, very soon after elections, um, when majorities are not in our typical favor, and I'm not saying all Democrats vote for RCOs, because that's not true, um, but it seems like when a majority is there, the roads are paved, you need an RCO, hmm, coincidentally, not coincidentally, big projects happening. So, you know, I, I, I certainly understand the landscape, uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of my analysis of going through it since 2018. And they're popping up. I mean, it's 2022. Just in the week, uh, this past week, four of them came up. Bang. You know, and they're going to keep coming. So. Um, not to change the subject totally, because it's kind of, it kind of is interrelated. Um, <laughs> I think I saw something coming out of Pennsylvania recently that um, Pennsylvania is starting to lean back towards blacklisting. That... I heard that, and I have not. Um, I haven't experienced any repercussions of it yet. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it was a proposal. Um, I think it was your. I don't know if you call her Secretary of Labor, or I think it's another. The, the your Labor Department isn't a Labor Department. It's, 
some funky name there in Pennsylvania, but um, they're leaning towards eliminating any companies from doing state work that have any kind of um, allegations or or findings of unfair labor practices or you know misclassification of workers, things like that. Misclassification is probably the biggest issue. Um, you know, our current attorney general has, uh, I think he filed three cases, if I remember correctly, two were successful for him. Um, and, you know, I mean, again, that is everything we're talking about is a sure sign to me that the playing field, not only they don't want it level, they're going to fight to make sure it's not level. Um, and again, going back to what we advocate for, no company should be misclassifying workers. No company who is, you know, taking seminars from us is ever going to hear anything like that. I mean, you got to follow all the rules. And if, if, if that occurred where somebody didn't follow the rules, um, you know, it's a shame. But I also have to say that, you know, that attorney general is running for government. And I certainly have seen evidence that he certainly uh, not only advocates for the union, he's, I would say he's pro-union much like our president right now. So it kind of is what it is. Um, I'm sure in his, the attorney general's words, he was looking out for the good of Pennsylvanians. Uh, and I also assumed it must let much like um, even some city council members I've heard uh, direct stood within 25 feet and heard them say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I definitely want the union money. I mean, <laughs> I mean, right. it's that blatant. It's that blatant. So, hey, okay. And again, it's not to say anything anti-union. That's not what I mean by what I say that. But when you say you were everything is pro-union, you were actually then saying, well, you know, you the 85% that aren't part of a union, we're not for you. <laughs> I mean, that's what you're saying. So you can't have union supremacy. You can't have non-union supremacy. It should just be, hey, look, if the unions are that good competitively, then they're that good competitively on a job site. Hey, eat it. Get more competitive. You know, be more proficient if you're not union. They, that's what it is. That's what it should be. That's what it should be. But yeah. if they're that good, then they wouldn't need all this. <laughs> yeah, and you just know? some some rough numbers for listeners. Um, 6.1% of the private sector is unionized. So private sector, not government workers. And in the construction industry, I think it is um, 14% that is unionized, correct? Correct. I mean, it varies from, I use, I use like an 80-20 to cover, some say 87% is not part of collective bargaining, not part of a union. Um, so that would be 13%. Um, more right. Than but, and, and again, you know, I get, you know what, what I always encourage people to do, I, lo- I love being on programs like this, you know, do, do a little bit of research. You, it, don't have to believe what I'm saying. You can go pull statistics very easily yourself and see see that it's a fact but don't trust me on it you know you can always go verify um what what peter what you're saying or what i'm saying and uh you'll find you'll find that it's true um i'd love that you know the 87 percent were all abc eastern members and that if i'm being transparent they're not (laughs) they're not um we advocate for them but they might not be a member so you know i mean just to be truthful about statistics that's uh, right. Yeah. No, I'm just talking uh, just generally in the industry across the country is, sure. you know, the majority of it is not unionized. So when you're seeing RCOs or PLAs, which a lot of people don't understand what a PLA is, although they may with the recent presidential executive order, yeah, they um, know. you know, you're, you're essentially discriminating against the vast majority of construction workers across the country or 
across the township or wherever. Um, And it's, you know, if you believe in free enterprise, which is basically what our country is founded on, it's, you know, you're eliminating free enterprise. 100%. And that's the thing, you know, what I, a lot of phrases are, are tossed around, especially in my chapter, you know, when is it ever okay to discriminate against? When is it ever okay to have two classes of workers? When is that all right? It's not, it, you know, if, and we have Philadelphia and we've got Allentown and we've got some other locales in our, in our chapter, you know, that is what it is. I mean, I, that's why I think a lot of these ordinances, um, they're on America. And I, and, and the thing is, I mean, again, full disclosure, Unions had a great place in the country 100 years ago. They did. I mean, there are certain things that were done that were great. But when you look at what's happening now, I go back to the scarcity thing. If I'm saying, you know, I'm 13% of the market uh, or the labor pool, why am I not 50% like it was in 1960, 65? What do we got to do? Well, that's what you're saying. I mean, that's what you're saying. From the president to Whitpain Township, that's what you're saying. And uh, I don't think that I don't think anytime you're excluding people, um, even though you could even have the argument, well, you're the majority. What do you care? Um, that may be true, but I go back to then. It's about competition. If the unions are that great, they'll have 55, 60 percent of the labor pool because they're that great. Their value proposition's that great. Their performance is that great. End of story. I mean, that's that's what it should be. That's competition. And I know that any entrepreneur is going to go, well, then I got to be a little bit better, so I'm on the field. And and we've always advocated. I think it's that value proposition um, that they've lost over time. And I'm not speaking specifically. I'm going generically across the board. What, What happened with not just construction unions, but I'll touch on that for a second, um, the construction unions, when you've got a building that's got to be built and you get an equal skill level from the workers of union on the one side, non-union on the other, and the non-union who's also skilled and can get the job done is 20% less or whatever, shows up, will not be late for work, won't walk off the job right when the, you know, the clock strikes three o'clock, um, and is willing to do a little bit extra and you don't hear the, well, it's not my job or I can't do it because it's not in my jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a gravitational pull towards the non-union side. And so that's where they've, I think, lost a lot of their um, value proposition to use your phrase. Yeah, I, I agreed. And again, you know, sometimes that gets kind of mired up in, in a different, well, you know, they don't, they don't pay a, what's called a living wage. That's how they get away with get away with that. That's how the prices are so low. Um, again, I'll, I'll just say to anybody, do your own research. Um, when you look at a, a wage rate, um, look at how that's broken down and look at what the worker on either side takes home in their pocket. Um, you'll find that things are a lot closer than you think. Or in some cases, the worker may even on the open shop side be bringing home more. So not only are they performing at a high level, they're technically making more money. Um, and that's part of the value, too. I mean, you have to, I got to watch how, how much I say about this. <laughs> um, let's just put it this way. I have a member 
I can attribute this to a member. If you look at what has to be paid to the house, so to speak, uh, when you are a union, I'm making $100 an hour. Well, did you take home 100 an hour? Probably not. Definitely not. You got to pay your taxes. You got to do everything else. But there's some other stuff that's in there that goes, quote, to the house that you might not have to do that if you're on the open shop side. So um, that's as much as I'll say. <laughs> union pension funds, union health and welfare plans, all that sort of stuff, which is an extra tax on the, the consumer, so to speak. The consumer being either the construction company paying into it or who then bills it to whoever their customer is. And there's one other big one um, when you talk about politics. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so, there's money taken out. <laughs> but historically, and so this is where I think the unions hit, and I'm speaking for myself, just observing this over the years, the unions used to um, be able to promote themselves as being highly skilled. Um, if you had a, if you had a worker who happened to be a union member that was screwing up on the job, coming to work back in those days, drunk, whatever, um, the union would police its own house. And so then you could, they could sell themselves as being, you know, top notch and you're getting the cream of the crop, so to speak. And they've lost the cream. And, and this affects all unions really, because they, and I'm, we used to have a joke when I was in the union 30 years ago, you know, we represent the sick, lame and lazy. That was pre-ADA. But, you know, so when you, when you have, and I'll just come back to construction, um, I think it was in New Jersey, the IBW 10 years ago, finally put out a rule that they're going to drug test. They may have dropped it since then, but they're going to drug test their members because they, the members were, you know, stoned half the time, not all, but you know, enough. So it sullied the union's reputation. And now I don't know where they are now, if they, you know, have loosened up on that, but it was, they recognized it. And I don't know that a lot of unions have. Yeah, again, you know, I, I can speak more for the members that I, you know, that I know, right? And, it, and that's the thing about ABC. There is a guy, and again, maybe like the union, they call it a brotherhood, I call it a family, right? I know the owners, I know their policies, not everyone, but I, you know, I know from an employer standpoint, um, whether it be drug testing or whether it be performance, they got to run their company. They're constantly on the edge. As they finish one project, how am I getting to the next one? But they're not performing. And they don't have skilled people that are performing. They don't get the work. I mean, it's just that simple. So a lot of that stuff that I hear, it's, it's more propaganda noise. Um, you know, how the open shop, they're not as safe. No, that's not true. You know, they're not this, they're not that. You run a company. You started from the ground up. You think that you're really going to, A, not be hiring or training the best, whether, like, if we go back to apprenticeship and RCOs and Class A apprenticeship. You think they're not doing that? Because guess what? In this market, those members or those those members, but their employees, they're gone. It's a, it's an employee market right now in construction. Yeah. There's some bonuses that are being signed just to bring people in. They're not. No employee is going to stand for it, and in turn, the employer is not going to stand for it. So you can't use the word maybe policing in that in that anecdote, but um, it's certainly top of mind. <laughs> you, you want to get the next work. You want to make sure you've got the best in your company. And ergo, I get the benefit of that because then I have a membership that's doing it. That's great. So you know, I again going back to competition. Um, make that make that playing field level and uh, that's competition. True competition. Are you, 
um, are you seeing these RCOs go down at all to the residential level? They were in, and I'm going back many years ago, um, in New York, Long Island specifically. I think they were trying to push it into residential type of construction. Um, and they're at the township level. It was like, you know, if you work in this town on a kitchen rebuild, you're going to have to be an RCO. Well, I'll tell you this, um, of the ones that I mentioned, no, if that were to happen, or if you just put it under what's called private work, I mean, guys, anybody listening to this, it's an ABC member, better wake up because that's what this is. I mean, that class A uh, apprenticeship moniker, marketing term, whatever, and there, there might be some evidence it's not totally a marketing term because a class A journeyman in the union world does have a definition. Um, but no, if it, if it goes into private work or residential, oh boy, <laughs> I mean, it's, that's, that's a game, that's a game changer killer. It's not good. Well, that's, that's when your, um, constituents in, in various townships will probably wake up a lot. You would. And it, interestingly enough, um, there was a hearing in Allentown, some of our members attended it, and that comment was made more, uh, as an anecdote to, Hey, why you don't do you wouldn't do this at home? Would you ask if the guy who came in to fix your sink was in a union apprenticeship or a non-union apprenticeship program? Can you fix my sink? I mean, and you got a good price. I like well, but on a high school, it's different, or, or whatever. A municipal building is different. It's not different. <laughs> you would still want what you would want at home. Um, you know, it, it really is to me, it's, it's very, very simple. And I think politics is what gums it all up. Um, and it comes from a position of scarcity, not a position of, hey, there's enough work to go around or let's create enough work to go around. But I, I often feel that, you know, when we have union, non-union or, you know, me and a business agent or me at a, a, a head of a local union, from a, getting people into the industry agreeing that people need to be safe on a job site and be in the same condition when they come home as they are when they left, got to be working together. I mean, you just do. We can disagree on the employment choice and who's better, whose value proposition is better, a private employer, union. Okay, you know, let's do that. I can understand that. But a lot of this other stuff, boxing companies out, not allowing them to grow, um, and maybe even throwing mud at them, uh, to, and, and propaganda at them. It's just, it's, it's un-American. It's just, it's not or smashing, right. Or smashing their windows and, and spray painting scab on 100%. sides of things. Yeah. Ridiculousness. Well, the, um, yeah, and I guess, you know, you would think during this job market, since there's so many shortages of employees and construction industries, very short, um, the unions would have enough work to not try to muscle out the competition mm-hmm. and you would think that it's interesting to see that right now. I mean, I've, you know, I've been around long enough and, and you've certainly been around long enough with the uh, downturns in the economy. That's when they usually get really um, feisty, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. It gets amped up then, but yeah. you know, if you look at, I mean, another, you know, when you look at the workforce, because when I said, you know, we have more in common sometimes that we have in difference. You know, there's just a shortage of people coming into this industry, period. It doesn't even matter, um, you know, whether you're union, non-union. Uh, it's just not, I don't know, you know, some people say it's not, uh, everybody thinks it's a grimy trade. It's not, 
it, it's just not that for one. But two, they have the same problem we do. <laughs> you know, and right. the only way to, I mean, if you look at class A apprenticeship, if you look at that, the word apprenticeship is usually attributed to union, not non-union, although we both have programs. Um, you know, how, what's next? I mean, you know, there are some who say, and again, I'm, I'm not saying it's an ABC uh, endorsed statement I'm about to make, but, you know, there's a lot of folks coming into this country and due to policies that don't make a whole lot of sense. And is that the new wave of people that are going to come into the industry? I don't know. Um, I could probably, that's probably another show, Peter. <laughs> it's probably well, another no, show. it's actually, it's very relevant. Um, and this, again, this has also affected unions. The, um, there are some of the trades that have, uh, lost work due to the influx of immigrants. And, you know, at this point, we've got such an aging population. We've got a um, people who have not come back to the workforce due to the pandemic. There's a whole bunch of things that are playing into the worker shortage. And then on top of that, there's just this whole wave of uh kids out there that would rather go to college and not go into the trades and then they accrue all this debt and where they could go into the trades and make as good a money, if not better, if they were to actually work as opposed to going to college, right? That's and, and not have all that debt. And, you know, yeah. so we've, we've got a whole bunch of societal issues going on right now that um, is kind of coming all to fruition at the same time. That's correct. That is correct. And I mean, and that's a lot of what we do as far as our outreach to, you know, high schools and sometimes even before high school um, and at the career and tech level. And that's a much easier sell because they're already kind of, of, hey, I would, this is what I want to do. But, you know, you think about that. I, you know, I went to college, um, but I also like working with my hands. So it's interesting. I kind of think I, I feel both sides. I get it. Um, but you know, you, you come out, you get into a trade, you get experienced, you could stay in the trade, you could start your own company. I can tell you from my experience, I was, uh, I was more effective at business development um, in construction when I had gone out to the field. I mean, you know, my father always had that, um, he says, you know, Joe, you're in the management side, but you know, you never estimate a job without talking to people that are going to do it. And get in the trench, which I did. I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta understand everything as far as the industry. So I tie that back to just because you come into the trades, you're an electrician, you become a journey person, that's great. But you could start your own electrical company. Right. You could go back and get a degree, start a company, um, be the vice president of marketing. You know, you, the sky's the limit in the industry, uh, and it's very hungry for me. So. And no debt. I mean, you like you outlined, you can do that with no debt. Right. You can always go back and get the other side if you need that. You know, let's get a marketing degree. Great. Well, now you're a tradesman with a marketing degree. Sky's the limit. You know, and that's what I think we do. I mean, we promote it, but I think that's something. You got to promote that because it's true. I, I lived it. I mean, personally lived it. You know, I wasn't a master electrician, but I worked for a large construction company. Got started on very small projects and management, but I spent a lot of time with people doing the work. It's important, um, and it made me better. Um, and, hey, you know, I like working with my hands. If I would have taken a different path, who knows what I would have done? Maybe I would have owned an electrical company. I don't know. Yeah. But, 
Is what it is. But I spent a, I spent a year after high school doing construction um, in the desert in Arizona, and the uh, and then I I finally got an air not really air conditioned. I went into a factory, but um, that's where I got my union experiences on the in the old Ma Bell Telephone Company. Oh, there you go. There you go. But yeah. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I've got one of my sons is a uh, construction worker, so it's getting a lot of experience and not blowing a lot on college because he didn't want to go. That's so, true. It's always there. College is there, but it's well, kind Joe, of time, you know, working with your hands too. So you want to get that yeah. in. Oh yeah. <laughs> you want to get that experience in. Yeah. So, Joe, what else is going on on in Eastern PA? Well, I mean, a lot of good stuff, right? So, I mean, you know, we talked a lot about the playing field not being level, but, you know, on the Eastern PA side, I mean, membership's about as big as it's ever been in our chapter. Um, got a lot of good light on us, you know, whether it's uh, is opposing things that aren't good for the industry, but also all the things that are. Um, you know, our outreach in Philadelphia, I mentioned at the outset, is uh, going really well. And, and we're just, it's, it's, it's neat to see a light bulb go off, you know, when somebody says, Oh, I get, I get this. Like I get going into the trades, changes my family's life, changes my life. Didn't even know it was there. Thought I wasn't supposed to, you know, there's a barrier, there's barriers that we talked about earlier. Um, they're not really there. That alone is worth getting up and going to the office and going out to, and meeting people every day. So that's very rewarding. And it's really, I think it's a very big key to success for the chapter, which is already underway. So the chapters, you know, it's in, we're in great shape which is uh, great financially and otherwise. So I kind of look at, you know, we're sky's the limit. We're as big as we've been and I want to keep, keep that trend going. So. So let me ask you, um, although our listeners are spread all over the country, if, if they happen to be in Eastern PA, um, how would they reach out to you or, or the website? I'll, I'll put the website under the audio portion of this, but. Sure. Uh, you go to info at, a B C E A S T P A dot org. So A B C East P A dot org. Uh, info at that'll come that comes to the, the staff. Um, and we, we're happy to, I mean, if people are coming from around the country, um, you know, Philadelphia is a great market to come build in. Uh, we mentioned some of the challenges. Don't be deterred. Um, you know, there are ways to get around those things. Uh, we're happy to help you there too. Uh, but, you know, it's a great market. We're positioned very well, and, um, you know, things are changing in the positive. So, you know, please reach out to us anytime. We're happy to help. Well, Joe, thanks for thanks for coming on to the Labor Relations Radio, especially on a Friday when you could be out at the beach right now. True. <laughs> That's true. I will get there. I will okay. get there. This is great. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So that was Joe Propilia from the Associated Builders and Contractors, Eastern Pennsylvania chapter. And although we're talking a lot about what's going on in the eastern part of Pennsylvania, a lot of the issues that are going on there are also happening across the country. However, if you want to know more or learn about specifically what's going on in the eastern area or eastern part of Pennsylvania, Go ahead and reach out to Joe at the ABC Chapter Office. Uh, the website is below the audio portion of this episode, and I'm sure he'll be glad to talk to you. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. Leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode 
or reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio.